I'm going to read from Psalm 8. Uh, this is what uh, Tori will be after our singing. We bring in God's word to us. We read, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established strongholds. On account of your adversaries, in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You have made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. All right, here I am. Well, no, it is great to be a part of Valley Community this morning. And um, I would like to say, uh, just uh, just publicly want to say how grateful I am for Matt and Diane. Uh, they have been for many years uh, dear friends of Jolene and me, and, um, and Matt in particular has stood with me over the past uh, almost 12 months uh, like, no other, like no other pastor has, and I'm extremely grateful. I, don't, I, I know that they love and care for you and shepherd you and feed you spend time with you and invest in you, which for most pastors, that is everything. What you don't know is that every week, they also spend hours and hours and hours investing in others as well. And I'm one of those. And I want to say thank you publicly to them. And I want to say thank you publicly to you for sharing your pastor to be a blessing to so many others. And I'm deeply grateful for it. Well, before I start crying, let's turn to Psalm. Yeah, it's okay. You can clap. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's look at Psalm chapter 8, or the 8th Psalm. Psalm 8. When Matt asked me if I would be willing to preach, which I, I was excited about and counted as a great honor, I began to look at what Psalm I wanted to preach from. And Psalm 8 had been a Psalm that God had uh, just been using in my heart and life. And I decided to go there. I'd never preached from Psalm 8, so this is my first time to preach from this. And uh, it has just been near to my heart these past weeks. Identity is a huge part of our culture. Identity is something that our culture is taking very seriously right now. In fact, I would say that for most of our culture, a search for an identity is perhaps one of the core central things that they are desperately searching for. It, it may be gender identity, political identity, racial identity, but there is a deep desire to say, I am this. This sets me apart as being special, as being important, as being valuable. And they're looking for something. They're looking for something that, that this world will give and say, hey, you are valuable because of this. 
But this morning, I want us to hear from God. And I want you this morning to hear what he says about you and why you are valuable and why you have a beautiful and glorious identity. I'm going to argue from Psalm 8 that there is one identity and there is one purpose that transcends all others. I'm going to argue that that out of all of the identities that you're going to see on social media, or you're going to see on the news, or you're going to read about in in the newspaper, out of of all of the passions and purposes that, that you might hear people who want to live for something significant, out of all of those, and some of them are actually very good, I'm going to seek to prove from Psalm 8 that there is one identity and there is one pursuit, one passion that transcends all others. And I want you to see that with me, if you would, from Psalm 8. here's Here's the big idea, I think, from Psalm 8. It is this. As a human, you are made to show the greatness of your maker. As a human, you were made for a purpose. And that purpose is to show the magnificent, majestic greatness of your maker. And that identity and that purpose is to control everything else in life. Now, this concept is not hard to find. The the text actually calls for this. If you look at verse 1 and you look at verse 9, you're going to notice they're exactly the same. They're kind of like bookends. And, and, and what it's saying is in verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. That's the first bookend. And then you, you come to verse 9, and that's the last bookend. And it says, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. And what it's saying is that these two verses that are saying the same thing, everything in between is about that. Everything that is talked about between these two bookends are talking about that. But it's interesting, if you look at this, there's a parallelism that happens. Verse 1b through 3, parallel verses 5 through 8. And then verse 4 is left right in the middle as a standalone point verse. This is called a chiasm. And, and, verse, and you can almost view this passage like a V. And verse 4 is the point of that V. And we see that it is talking about the value of man. The psalm shows us how we can show the greatness, how we can show the majesty, how we can show the magnificence of our maker in four ways. Would you notice these with me this morning? First of all, I believe that we show the magnificence of our maker through thinking elevated thoughts. Through thinking elevated thoughts. Notice if you would in verse uh, 1b. It says, it says um, Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Look down at verse 3. It says something very similar. When I observe your heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you set in place. What do we see here? We see David linking back to his roots as a shepherd and the hundreds and even thousands of nights that he spent out on the desert watching the sheep and there was absolutely no light pollution of any type and 
the sheep were all bedded down, perhaps in a little corral, and, and David is there at the gate of the corral protecting it, and he sleep eludes him. And he looks up at the sky, and he observes the magnificence of our universe and the stars and the moon, and, and he looks at this. And what he does is very important, and it teaches us a principle that I want us to walk out with this morning, and it's this. He began to view everything in light of the character of God. When he looked at the moon, and when he looked at the stars, and when he saw the Milky Way, or in the daytime when he felt the, the magnificence of the sun, he viewed all of that grandeur and all that glory, but he viewed it through the eyes of the character of God. You see, when David talks about the name of the Lord in verse 1, and it talks about the name of the Lord in verse 9, it's not just talking about his name, like you put on a name tag. It's talking about his character. And when he looks and he says, I observed your heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and stars which you set in place, he viewed these things in light of the character of God. Can, can I challenge you as my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, elevate your thinking? Yeah, it's, it's good to watch the news. I mean, pay a little bit of attention. It's okay to... Maybe interact a little bit on social media, but can I say something? You need to elevate your thinking, and you need to feed your mind on things and look at things through the character of who God is. Two practical applications of this is this. You need to think in two ways. First of all, think things that redeem, and then think how to redeem. Can I explain those real quickly, and we'll move on. Think things that do redeem, and think things that you can redeem. What do I mean by the first one? You need to spend a vast amount of time thinking things that are redeemable. They're, they're, they're clean, they're pure, they're healthy, they renew, they recreate. They, they are things that don't take away, but they fill your well spiritually. You need to spend more time thinking on those things and filling your well, well spiritually. And that's what David did. He's there and he says, I look at the stars and the moon and it makes me think about who you are. And I view all of that in light of your character. That's what we need to do. We need to have fueling thoughts that redeem and recreate and renew us. But then we also need to think thoughts of how do we redeem? In other words, you may be looking at something and you, you see on Facebook that a friend, we've heard a glorious testimony this morning of, of a family that went through an incredible heartache and you view that and your heart is touched and, and the thought that should come to your mind is, how can I redeem there? How can I pray? How can I encourage? How can I support? How can I serve? What can I do to help? And now the thoughts go to, how can I help redeem that situation? Maybe there's something happening in your, in your neighborhood or your, in your community that has brought grief and pain and heartache. And you're like, okay, that's sad. What can I do to help redeem the brokenness of my neighborhood and my community? What can I do? Thinking of things in light of the character of God. Don't just think lazy, neutral thoughts where your mind is being guided simply by entertainment, but capture your thoughts, as the New Testament tells us, and, and, and think thoughts that are elevated. When we do, we will see the, majest, the majesty of God will be elevated in our own mind and in our own hearts. And then, once it's elevated here, it will begin to 
impact others. Let's notice a second way that we can show the majesty of God through our life. And it's this, through depending on God in our weakness and brokenness. Through depending on God in our weakness and our brokenness. Look at verse 2. This is a very interesting verse. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold or a fortress on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. Very interesting picture that seems to be totally out of place, and yet it's not. In this passage, what is it that silences the enemy and the avenger? What is the fortress that holds back the enemy and the avenger? And we would think, well, it's an army. It's an air force. I mean, it's something of incredible power and might. And David says, no. Not in the hand of God, not the way that he works. What is it that stops the enemy and the avenger? He says, it's the mouth of infants and nursing babies. I was forwarded a video of a young family that I've invested in for many years, and they forwarded a a video to me of their little year-and-a-half-old little girl sitting on the sofa with a book, and she is just jabbering away. There's not one single word in there that I could recognize. I don't think there was a single word that any person other than herself could recognize. But she was just talking up a storm and turning pages in that cardboard book. And she had her own narrative going. It was the cutest thing in the world. I can show you later if you want. You're like, that's not threatening to the enemy. How does that stop the enemy? How is that a fortress against the avenger? A nursing infant can't do anything for itself. It is fully dependent upon its mom. And that's the point. That's the point that David is making. He is saying this, God uses weak and broken things in order to do mighty things. God is not looking for your greatness. God is not looking for your strength. God is not looking for your ability. God is not looking for your success. God is looking for your brokenness, your weakness, and your dependence upon Him. And when dependent upon the Lord, God takes your brokenness and He can use it in powerful ways. This is the point of this passage. There are a couple of scriptures that talk about this, and I'd like to read them for you. If I could, the first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this principle is taught in verses 26 through 31. Where it says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence. And it says in verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You ever come to a point in your life where you just feel overwhelmed, crushed in darkness and emptiness. 
Can I say this to your soul and to your mind and to your faith and to your walk with God this morning? This, that thing that overwhelms you this morning does not overwhelm God. That thing that is crushing you does not crush God. That darkness that you are experiencing is not darkness to God. That emptiness that you feel is not, em- is not an emptiness that God is experiencing. So you might ask the question, so, okay, Tori, then where is God in all of this? I'll tell you where God is. God is at work in and through your brokenness, even though you don't see it. God is redeeming your pain. God is overpowering what is crushing you. God is bringing light into your darkness. And God is filling your emptiness with grace. See, just because you don't see God at work does not mean he is not working. And just because you don't yet see purpose to your pain does not mean that God is without purpose. Just because you don't see light does not mean that God is not bringing light. It's it's like a construction site. It was just visiting some friends who are building a house across the street. It's just empty field. Nothing is happening on that property. Nothing at all. It is just empty. But it's not messy. Whereas where their house is being built is a disaster zone. Earth is piled up. Holes are being dug. Things are sticking out of the ground. Stacks of things. There's no order. There, there, there is no obvious design. It is just chaos. But where is the future? It's where the construction site is going on. Where is the hope? It's where the work is being done. And if your life seems like it's just a mess right now, it's just because there should be put across your heart under construction. God is at work. So what do you do? I'll give you one practical application on this, and it comes from Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When you're in darkness, when you're in emptiness, when you're in despair, when you can't see your way forward, when everything seems broken, when everything seems empty, what do you do? And here's what you do. Seek his kingdom. You're like, but what about the brokenness? Don't know. Don't have an answer. He does. Seek his kingdom. What about the darkness? Don't have an answer. He does seek his kingdom. Focus on the primary thing and let God take care of the rest. There's a third Would you notice with me way that we can glorify God? And I I may have to end on this one. The fourth one, we may have to just, you can go study it on your own. But this one, I want you to have this morning. It's going to bless your socks off. Verse 4. This is kind of the, the central focus point of the passage. What is a human being that you remember him or you call him back to mind? A son of man that you look after him. Literally, that you search and rescue. I'm going to ask you a question. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to hear this question. And in the silence of your heart, I want you to answer it. In the silence of your heart, okay? What do you think is the basis for your relationship with God? My third point is this. I think we magnify God through rightly relating to God. We magnify him by rightly relating to him. And I want to ask this question again. What do you think is the basis for your relationship with God? 
Well, I had my devotions six out of seven days. I was kind of sinless, proud, but kind of sinless. I have talent. I was careful with my spiritual disciplines. I accomplished a lot this week. So because of what I've accomplished and because of my spiritual disciplines and because of my talent and and because of my avoiding sins and what was the other one? Oh, and I had my devos. Therefore, I have a basis, I have a foundation to be right with God. If you answered your question similar to what I just described, you missed the boat. You missed the boat totally. Verse 4 asks a value question. What is a human name? What is the value of a human being? But he goes on and he asks this question, what is a human being that you constantly bring not generically, but you by name. That he brings your name back to mind constantly. What is it? What is the value in you that prompts God to bring your name constantly to mind? What, what is the value in you that motivates God to to look after you or to care for you or to seek after you and search after you? What is it in you that motivates God to do that? And I want you to notice something. This passage does not answer that question. Do you know why? In the ESV, verse 5 starts with yet, which means it just moves on without answering the question. Once you get this, I'm not wandering somewhere. I know where I'm going. The text is making a point. Here's the point. There is no reason. That might make you a little insecure. But there is nothing in you of value that prompts or motivates God to love you. If you're sitting here going, man, this is not a very loving thing. Listen to me very carefully. Conditional love is an insecure love. You see, there is no answer given because there is no value in man that would prompt God to think, to care, to love, to have a relationship with man. God loves you unconditionally. There is nothing in you that prompts him to bring your name to mind. There is nothing in you that motivates him to seek after you. He does because he just chose to love you. And we see an example of this, and I won't take the time this morning, but in Deuteronomy chapter 7, there's an illustration given from Israel where it says, I did not set my love on you because you were the greatest nation. You were the most powerful, the most wonderful nation. I set my love on you because I just chose to set my love on you. That is an example of God's love for you. He just chose to love you. Unconditional love is the most beautiful and secure love that could ever exist. If your love is based on something, let me pause right here and say something. Husbands, still tell your wives there's a reason, okay? They need to hear that, all right? So 
There's a, there's a caveat I want to give here. Tell them often why, all right? But in your relationship with God, a love based, based on something is an insecure love. It can change, or somebody could be better. Well, he loves me because I'm the most beautiful. He loves me because I'm the most talented. He loves me because I work hard. He loves me because I'm intelligent. He loves me because... Well, if that is the basis for why there is love, what happens if somebody more beautiful comes along? What happens if somebody more talented comes along? What happens if somebody, and I forget the other thing I said, comes along? Are you at risk? You are if your love relationship is a conditional love relationship. And God says, no, I don't want you to live with the question, if somebody better comes along, God will stop loving me. I want people to know that I love them because I chose to love them. I love them in eternity past. I love them now. I proved my love by sending my son, Jesus Christ, to die for their sin in my place. Therefore, nobody has to try to be good, to enter into a relationship with God. Instead, they come before him with all of their brokenness and all of their failings and all of their mess. And he says, I love you with your brokenness. I love you with your mess. I love you with the disaster zone that is you. And I want to be in your life and care for you. And all we are supposed to do is just turn to him in faith and say, I'm yours. Come on in. Come into my brokenness. Come into my weakness. Come into my mess. I need you. See, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but I would challenge you with this. It, it, it is, it, if, if your relationship with God is based on anything you think you do for God, then your relationship with him is going to constantly be insecure. God, I want you to take this away. God loves you because he wants to love you. And the practical application of this, listen to me very carefully, is this gives value to every human being. Every human being is valuable. We need to see people for their personhood. We need to see them for the value that they have as viewed by God. We live in a culture that's trying to cram everybody into some box with a label. Don't let Satan draw you into that trap of pushing people into label boxes. Instead, see people in light of how God sees them. And God looks at that person that maybe annoys you and God says but I love that person for no reason just because I want to love them and as one who is in a love relationship with God Matthew twenty two thirty seven, love God with all of your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself I need to see my neighbor not in light of my opinion of them because that's conditional it's broken it's a mess we don't want to base things on that Instead, I want to see that person in light of how God sees them because that's unconditional and it's the foundation for their value. You see, if we, if, we, if we go through our life seeking to elevate our thinking as David did and view everything around us in light of the character of God, that will cause us to bring glory to God. God is glorious. We don't give him glory. We don't make him glorious. We just simply, we just simply magnify, we just make known his glory. And it starts in our own head and heart. And it also goes 
on in, into the realm of understanding our brokenness does not mean that God has abandoned us or isn't doing anything good. God often brings the most glory to his name by working through the mess that we are. God is glorified when we understand our, lo- our relationship with him is not because we have value, but because he just chose to love us. And I'll give you one more, and I'm not even going to preach on it. I'm just going to give it to you. And it's your assignment to go home and meditate on it. Verses 5 through 8, we bring glory and we magnify God through carefully living out our gifting and calling. Through carefully living out our gifting and calling. I'll read it and close in prayer. You have made him, that's man, little less than God. That helps us know who man is not. You're not God. And crowned him with glory and honor. This lets us know who man is. He is very unique and special. You're not the same as your cat. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and have put everything under his feet, all sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the sea. This is what man does. We glorify God by carefully living out our gifting and our calling. You have an identity. That identity is this. You are loved by God. You've been given a purpose to magnify God. Go out into the week knowing that you have a purpose that transcends all others. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the fact that you have given to us a wonderful purpose and privilege, and that is to glorify the the greatness of who you are. Lord, you are great. We don't have to make you great. You are great. Lord, help us to think about your greatness. Help our hearts to be fueled by the majesty of who you are. And help us, Lord, I pray, to show it to those that are around us. We ask now for the glory of your name.